Welcome. We are glad that you have chosen to join us for today's message from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Today, Pastor Tim shares a message entitled, The Parable of the Good Samaritan. Sometimes, people ask questions because they genuinely seek answers. But sometimes, people ask questions as a means of making some sort of statement. In Luke chapter 10, a lawyer does just that to Jesus. He asks Jesus a question, just wanting to justify himself. Sorry, but it doesn't work that way. In answer, Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. Here's Pastor Tim. Amen. You can have a seat. So glad that you're here today. Please take your Bible. Turn with me to Luke chapter number 10. Luke chapter number 10. We come today to a passage that you will be very familiar with. In fact, this is one of Jesus' most popular parables. It's not only popular with people in church, it's popular with people outside of church. Even unbelievers have a deep appreciation for this particular parable and try to make some kind of application uh, to it themselves. I think what they, uh, the part that they're missing out of that is is that they're in the story. In fact, they're a big part of this particular story, as we will see today. When Jesus gets to this point in our passage, there are five specific characters besides him that are mentioned in our passage today. And so I just want to walk through this section with you, and let's take a look at each one of these characters as we happen upon them. So the very first one that we find is in verse number 25. Jesus refers to him as a certain lawyer. Notice it says, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now I want you to know some things about this particular lawyer. First of all, I want you to know that this lawyer was insincere. He's insincere. I guess that's sort of the umbrella over everything about who this particular man is. Now, when we say lawyer, and Jesus refers to him that way, he's not so much like a litigator who goes into a courtroom as he is an expert in the law. Sometimes you may see this position described as a scribe. Of all the people that are gathered before Jesus on this particular day, this man ought to be the one who ought to know the answer to the question that he's asking. In fact, though, out of all the people that are gathered there that day, if there's anybody that the Jews want to use to try to trip Jesus up, then this is the one that they go to too. They go into a person who presumably is an expert in the law of God and trying to find any of those little loopholes. I hope you don't find yourself there, but sometimes we do, don't we? We look into God's Word and we look for loopholes. We look for excuses. And that's exactly what you find this particular man doing, looking for excuses. He's not here because he wants to know what he has to do to inherit eternal life. He's not here because he wants to have a conversation with Jesus. His motives are insincere. And I want to show you why in three ways. Number one. I want you to see that his approach was disrespectful. His approach was disrespectful. Now we we notice that he calls Jesus teacher. In verse number 29, he goes to him, or, or sorry, I lost my place. Verse number 25, he goes to him and he says, he stands up and he says, teacher, 
What shall I do to inherit eternal life? But he's not there because he wants to learn. He's not there because he believes that Jesus knows more than he knows. He's there, the Bible says, to test him. Here is now the student trying to give the teacher the test. And the test is not a test in which he wants Jesus to pass. It's a test that he wants Jesus to fail and to fail miserably and publicly in front of everybody else. His approach to Jesus is just that disrespectful. You need to know that everybody who comes to the Lord, everybody who prays a prayer, does not do so sincerely. It does not mean that they come to Jesus because they want Him as the Savior and Master of their life. Sometimes they just want Him to do something for them. And that's particularly this man's case. So this certain lawyer's approach is disrespectful. But number two, I want you to see that his asking is dishonest. His asking is dishonest. Now he asks a question, but he doesn't ask a question that he might receive an answer. A lot of people like that, isn't it? Not, not every question that's asked is asked because you want to know information. Sometimes people ask questions because they want to start a fight. Some people ask questions because they want to stir up trouble. Some people want to, want to ask a question because they just want to get the bells running. They want to be, sometimes we call it, the devil's advocate. In this particular case, this man is here but for one reason, and that is to trap Jesus, to test him, to catch him in his words. Now, when, when a person comes before Jesus and they ask him an honest question, doesn't matter, look through, your, look through your Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Every time that somebody comes to Jesus with a legitimate, genuine, honest question, Jesus gives them an honest answer. It might not always be exactly what they're expecting, but Jesus gives them a real, genuine answer. But every time somebody comes before Jesus and they have a question, and it's not a real question, it's a trick question, it's a trap question, Jesus never gives them an answer. Instead, he always answers the question with a question or somehow trying to put the onus back on the person who's trying to trap him. If you ask Jesus a real question, he's going to answer you. Jesus said, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. In the form of the verbs that he uses in that passage, he says, keep on asking, keep on seeking, Keep on knocking. You may have to ask Him more than once. But if you are genuinely going before the Lord because you want to know Him, you want to know His Word, you genuinely want those answers, He's going to provide those answers for you. But make no mistake about it. You try to jerk Jesus around the same way that this lawyer does, He's not going to answer your question with an answer. He's going to answer your question with a question so that you might turn and look inward the same way that this man does. In fact, look at this man's question. There's a problem in the question itself. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You don't do anything for inheritance. Inheritance comes because of a relationship that you have with a certain person. 
You don't do anything for that. He's wanting, he, he's wanting something so simple. Did you go to Sunday school today? Did you go to Sunday school today and learn about Naaman? And, and, and if you recall, Naaman, Naaman is told to dip seven times in that Jordan River, that, that Chattahoochee <laughs> River of Israel. You know, go dip yourself there seven times. And he says, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, I'm not going to do that. To when his servants come to him and say, if he asked you to do something hard, wouldn't you have done that? Why don't you just go and do this? If he genuinely wants to be healed, he's going to the Jordan, isn't he? By the way, if you followed through that, then you know that he did indeed find that kind of healing. This man's asking is not honest. There's a third thing I want you to see about him. His attitude was discriminating. His attitude was discriminating. Let's finish up this for just a minute. After Jesus, or after the certain lawyer asked the question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This is Jesus' answer. Jesus said to him, what is written in the law, and what is your reading of it, or how do you understand it? So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor is yourself. Now stop there for just a moment. That's a good answer, isn't it? It's a good answer if it's the right question. The only problem is, it's not the right question. Remember a certain lawyer comes to Jesus at one point and says, tries to trick him and says, what's the, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus tells him exactly the same verse. I mean, so, so the scribe does know, doesn't he? he? He should know the answers to these questions. This is not the right question or the right answer to the wrong question. So Jesus says to him, you have answered rightly, do this and you will live. So he says, okay, if, if, if what you must do to inherit eternal life is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, then go do that. If, if it's to love your neighbor like yourself, then go do that. And the problem is, is that the man knows who God is, or at least, at least on the surface he does. And he says, I know, I, can, I know how I can show love to God. But now you're asking me to love my neighbor. That, that's too many. It's too many people for one thing, and it's too many different kinds of people. I mean, Jesus, don't you understand that there are some people who are just harder to love than others? Jesus, don't you know that there are some people who are just harder to like than others? What's this man trying to do? What's his, what's his problem with what Jesus has to say to him? His problem is, is that he's not trying to include more people. He's trying to exclude certain people. So look at what he says in verse number 29. But he, wanting to justify himself, that's the key to his whole attitude. What he wants out of everything, out of this entire conversation, besides Jesus being tricked, is for he to justify himself. 
and he can't. He can't. He shows in this passage he doesn't care about anybody else. He only cares about himself. He doesn't care about any, anybody else's eternal destiny. He only cares about his own. And he thinks that he can do this by himself through his own efforts. Listen to this. You cannot come to God on your terms. You come to God on his terms. This man and others around him are not willing to come to Jesus on Jesus' terms. They want to come on theirs and on their own timetable. And if that means discriminating other people, then so be it. One of those groups of people that this particular lawyer does not want anything to do with are the Samaritans. They're number one on the hate list. (laughs) He doesn't want to love them. He doesn't want to love them, certainly not the way that he loves himself. And certainly does not think because of the history between the nation of Israel and Samaria that it had anything to do with his eternal destiny. Listen, everything about you has something to do with who you are, with whose you are, and with where you're headed. Everything does. There's not one area of your life that you get to exclude and say, well, my Christianity doesn't touch that part. That part is secular. That part is self. That part is not spiritual. I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. The lawyer's insincere, and he's going home with that same emptiness that he had when he first came. All right? There's a second person that we meet, because in verse number 30, Jesus begins to tell the parable. And he tells the parable by saying this, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. So now we meet this certain man. The one one that the, the audience that Jesus is talking to would have assumed is a successful businessman, a traveler. We're going to call him the victim because that's exactly what he is in verse number 30. So whereas the lawyer was insincere... The victim was injured. I mean, he was injured, not just physically. What you're going to see is that he is injured spiritually as well. This particular man in this particular parable is a picture of a lost man. A lost man, a lost woman, a lost boy, a lost girl. Anybody who does not have relationship with Jesus. Remember the question? What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? It's not about do, it's about who. It's not about, it's not about what you can do or your activity, it's about your relationship that you have. So here is a person who is outside of a relationship with God, outside of a relationship with Jesus, and he pictures for us every person who is lost. With that in mind then, Look back again at verse number 30. The first thing we see about this man is that he was going down. He was going down. Literally, he is going down. Figuratively, he is going down. It says that he went down 
from Jerusalem to Jericho. So Jerusalem sits up high, about 2,700 feet above sea level. Jericho is only 18 miles away, and it's like 900 feet below sea level. So in a very short space, it is steep. It is steep, and it is arduous. And nobody makes the journey simply for fun. This particular man is on this journey, and he is going down. It's a picture of humanity, isn't it? We're going down. Somebody described it this last week. He said, he said, we're not just like a plane going down. We're like a plane that's on fire going down. That's where humanity is, isn't it? And boy, it has escalated in these last few years. It leaves people wondering if there's any hope whatsoever. Wondering if there's anybody that, help, that can help anybody who even cares. It's the world that we live in, isn't it? And lost people don't have anybody else to look to except for themselves, and that's the case of this particular victim. He's going down. Number two, he is fully damaged. He is fully damaged. See, not only is this road from Jerusalem to Jericho steep, it's dangerous. It is the, it is the perfect setting for robbers to hide in those limestone caves and just wait for their victim to come. And they're able to take them down without anybody really seeing them. Martin Luther King Jr. said that this was a winding, meandering road called the Bloody Pass. And he said he called it that because of the blood which is often shed there by the robbers. That's what we see in Jesus' story, isn't it? He says this certain man going down fell among thieves or fell among robbers. And notice what they did. They stripped him of his clothing, they wounded him, and then they departed, leaving him half dead. This man, I mean, they did some real damage, didn't they? And it, again, it reminds me of what, of what Satan does to the people of this world. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, Satan has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Exactly what these robbers have done. The robbers are our Satan who've left this lost person in absolute, destitute, damaged condition. I'm so thankful for that verse that continues, but I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus' character is on the way, but we're not ready for him yet. There's a third thing I want you to see about this victim who's injured. Not only is he going down, not only is he fully damaged, but thirdly, he was nearly dead. Nearly dead. Jesus in the parable says at the end there of verse number 30 that he was left half dead. As sinners separated from God, we're reminded that we're not, <laughs> we're not left half dead. We're left all the way dead, you know? What a perfect verse for Sage to read for us today. You know, that we are dead in trespasses and sins. So an unbelieving world doesn't know that. They don't understand that. Oh, they may, they may admit that they've done a few things wrong, but for the most part, they feel like they're good people. They feel like they try to do the right things. But here's the issue. They're not half dead. They're dead dead. 
You know, they are dead, dead, dead in sins and trespasses. What can a dead person do to change his condition? Nothing. What can a dead person do to change his direction? Nothing. What can a dead person do? Nothing. What can you do to save yourself? Nothing. Not even come to church. Not even give your money. Not even get involved in missions and ministry. Nothing. That's why that great verse goes on and says, But God, who is rich in mercy, He saved us. He says, by grace are you saved. He's the one who made us alive again. He has done for you what you cannot do for yourself. This man, lying on the side of the road, half dead and robbed, has nothing else to look forward to except for somebody who can do something to intervene in his life. And you hope that's what's coming next in the story. (laughs) But sorry, it's not. Join us tomorrow as Pastor Tim shares a conclusion to the message from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, entitled, The Parable of the Good Samaritan. Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is churchoffice at britdavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Brit David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Brit David Podcast.